Be turning over to uh, chapter 18 of John, if you would. Chapter 18 of the book of John. We're, we're getting down to the, the story of the whole Bible, really, to be honest with you. As we look at the arrest of Jesus, we talked last week about, in the dark some, about the prayer that he prayed for us as believers. We, Sunday night we talked about the prayer that he prayed to be glorified and also the prayer that he prayed for his disciples. And we had a, a question that, to be honest, your pastor didn't have the answer for. I was trying to, you know, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they, they interweave the stories, and they're from different points of view. It'd be like uh, me telling a story that I saw, Rick telling a story, Gary telling a story, you know, and, and everybody would kind of have a little different view, but the, the facts would be there. Uh, people that like to disregard the Bible say that they contradict each other, but if you look at them, they fit perfectly together as only the inspired Word of God would. But I was wondering, as I looked at the prayer here from chapter 17, was that the same prayer that happened in the garden, or did it happen uh, before they went to the garden? Brother Fred said, well, this might not have even happened in the garden, because we went back over into Luke, and, and we read there where Jesus had took two or three of the disciples with him, and they said, well, first of all, he said, some of you stay here and pray, and then he took some others, and they went back a little further into the Garden of Gethsemane, and they prayed, and of course, Jesus went on and prayed himself, but when he came back, you remember what happened, they had fallen asleep, and uh, Jesus said, please wake up, please pray, couldn't, couldn't you just wait just a little while, please pray, I'm, my heart is heavy, and, and I need you to pray for me, and he went back into the garden a little deeper and came back, and guess what? They had fell asleep again. And then he went back, the Bible says, a third time and came back, and they had fallen asleep again. And so what I was trying to do was trying to find the timeline of where this prayer for God to be glorified, Jesus to be glorified, the prayer for the disciples and the prayer for us, where it fit into this prayer. And Brother Fred said, well, maybe it didn't happen in the garden. And so, Brother Fred, if I would have just read one more verse into chapter 18... Uh, I would have known the answer. And so that's where I want to take you tonight. Jesus did pray that with the, the disciples in the upper room. You remember that he washed their feet. He had the, the Lord's Supper with them, the Passover. He also had told Judas to go do what you have to do as Judas went and denied Christ and, or betrayed Christ. Um, and so he had left the room and he continued on with these, these 11 here, his followers, and he prayed over them. So let's pick up in 18, and then I'm going to also share some, some pictures with you that will help you kind of bring this to life. And think now that we are leaving the, the, the city of Jerusalem. We're leaving the, this walled, beautiful city, and we're going to cross over the Kidron Valley and up into the Mount of Olives. And I'll show you some pictures here in a minute. Let's read the first three verses together. And this is, this is the arrest of Jesus, and then we're also going to start to see today the beginning of his trial. When he had finished praying, that's, that's chapter 17, Jesus left with his disciples, which means he left, which means he left the upper room, and they crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden. That would be the Garden of Gethsemane. And he and his disciples went into it. Now, notice these next verses. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Jesus, the, the problem here is Judas knew the place and not the Savior. 
Even though he had hung around with him, he had listened to him, he had seen him teach, he had been at his feet, he had seen him do miraculous things. He knew about Jesus, he knew about what Jesus could do, but he never knew Jesus personally. It says here that Judas knew, he knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So think about this, he is going to betray Jesus in the very place where they had kneeled many times, knelt many times, and prayed over each other, prayed over their families, prayed over the lost, prayed over the world, prayed over what Jesus had to do. And just think of the, the irony here as Ju Judas comes to betray Jesus Christ. So Judas came to the garden guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Torches, lanterns, and weapons. Let me show you some pictures here. Now these are modern day pictures. If you were in our class last year for our winter Bible study, we studied the seven greatest days of all human history and we looked at Luke. And, and really, this today, as we start chapter 18, uh, it begins the worst, best day in human history. Because within 24 hours, Jesus would be in the grave. But it's, it's the worst, best day of human history. Because if this day doesn't happen, we're not sitting here this morning. We're not thinking about heaven and thinking about singing farewell, farewell, sweet hour of prayer. We are lost and without hope. Guys, we are reading some of the most important scriptures to ever be uttered. The most important words to ever be uttered as we look at these scriptures over the next few weeks. As we look at the passion of Christ. This picture here is from modern day Jerusalem. And we are looking back toward Jerusalem. We are over here. We are on the Mount of Olives now is where we are at. And you can see here as they stand, this has been created. This down in this area here, here with my little red dot, over here with my little red dot, that area right there is all graves. A lot of people have been buried there now. If, here in a minute I'll show you a picture, but on this very spot, when Jesus comes back to this earth after the seven years of tribulation, this is where he's going to touch down. The Bible tells us that he will come back to rest. He will come and put his kingdom up, and he will come back to the Mount of Olives. And so these people have asked to be buried here so that they will not miss the arrival of Jesus. Guys, I'm telling you, if you know Jesus, you're not going to miss the arrival. All right? You're going to be raptured out of here, and so this is going to be after that. But that's all graves down here in this, this bottom area. And they're looking over toward, you see the old walls of Jerusalem over here. Now, Jeff has been there uh, when he was in the, uh, in the army. And he, he would drive transportation trucks up this way. Some of you, has anybody else been to the Holy Land? Brother Fred's been there. Did you go? You had some stuff from the Holy Land. Miss Joyce has been in the Holy Land. So she has seen some of these things. And here is where the, the old temple set, right here. And it's been tore down. And you notice this right here is the Dome of the Rock, that big gold dome. And that is the only thing in this whole city that is owned by uh, the Islam. And that has to be removed before the new temple can be built that the last days talk about. So either by earthquake or however that's by tore down, by bombing, whatever's going to happen in the, the tribulation, that's going to be tore down and the temple is going to be rebuilt in this place right here, okay? So, Jesus and them are over in this area over here, 
Jeff said if you, if you know where to look, there's an upper room that you, you know kind of where the upper room's set. And so what we just read is they left Jerusalem, they left the upper room, they come down across this valley here, this valley down here, that's the Kidron Valley. And that's been there forever. That's been there for, for uh, David and, and uh, Abraham and all of them. That Kidron Valley has been very, when David built this city, that Kidron Valley was a very important part. You remember when uh, Nehemiah, went out and rode the walls that night. He came back and said, we're going to rebuild the walls. He rode down through the Kidron Valley and rode around the city. Of course, it was much different then, but this, this wall and this place is there. Let's look at the next picture. Now, we're going to go back across, and now we're standing over where I said the temple would have been. And now we're looking across, and we're looking to the Mount of Olives, and also the Garden of Gethsemane would, would have been on this hill or is on this hill, and I've got a picture of it in just a minute. The amazing thing to me is you see the highways right in the middle of Mount, Mount of Olives and things that wouldn't have been there during Jesus' time. But as we look across, guys, we are looking at the place where Jesus will come back to this earth someday. And that's amazing to think about that as we look at that. Jeff said this right here is a Russian chapel, a Russian uh, church, and he said on, on the uh, facade of it here, is graphics that show Peter cutting off the ear of the, of the guard. And we'll read about that in just a minute. But in this would have been the, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. And you, you see all the different... And they would have had to go down through the valley and then up on this other hill. Now, one more picture here. Uh, and then this is the Garden of Gethsemane modern day. Of course, they've went in and put gravel down and, and done some things of that nature. But this would have been the, the Garden of Gethsemane. And as I said last week... Uh, the garden, uh, Gethsemane is a word for olive press. If you look at what Gethsemane means, it means olive press. Of course, it's the Mount of Olives, and it's, it's very uh, ironic, and of course it's not because God knows exactly what he's doing, but we know that Jesus prayed in this garden, and we remember that it said in his, his sweat was as great drops of blood. So Jesus was being pressed to the ultimate extreme to take the cup and die for us. He was being pressed into this olive Thing. And so here, something that meant olive press also is where our Savior was pressed. So I just wanted to share them with you. Now, one, the next picture here is an interesting thought. They came seeking the light of the world with torches and lanterns. Think about that. We just read that last verse there. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. They came seeking the light of the world with a little bitty flashlight. You know what? That's still going on today, 2,000 years later. There's a lot of people looking for Jesus with a flashlight. And he wants to open up their eyes, and he wants to brighten up their life like they've never been brightened up before. But they're afraid to do it. And so they continue to kind of wander through. I'm telling you, when all these lights are on in here in the middle of the night, you can see everywhere. But when you take the lights off, and you're trying to get through here with a flashlight, you can still fall in a lot of places. And then the worst thing is when you're trying to go through here without any lights on at all, it even gets worse. And there's a lot of people wandering around trying to find Jesus without any light at all. And I just thought it was remarkable as the readers, as I read and studied, they said they come seeking the light of the world with torches and lanterns. Let's read on. Jesus, in verse 4, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? There's our question of the day right there. Now, also back up and realize what is about to happen over the next 24 hours. Jesus is going to be arrested. He's going to go through all kind of illegal trials. He's going to go through a religious trial. He's going to go through a civil trial. He's going to be 
pronounced, uh, you know, put to death. Uh, he's going to be swapped for a, a, a convict, and they're going to put, they're going to take Barabbas, and they're going to crucify Jesus. He's going to be beaten. And I watched the the video that last night uh, from the Passion movie, and it's just, it just, uh, my little girls were just, they walked up and they go, what, what are they doing? And I tried to explain to them that, that Jesus took that that beating for us. Now I know that's Hollywood, but. The, the Bible says that he was beaten so badly that you couldn't even recognize that he was a man. Also, he was nailed to a cross. They stuck a spear in his side. All those things that we know about, guys. But I want you to understand this. Nobody took Jesus' life. He gave it. He gave it for you and me. And I know that because right there in verse 4, Jesus knowing all that was going to happen to him. Now, it would be one thing for me to stand up and say, I'm going to die for you. And I not know how it's going to happen. But it would be a whole other thing that I'm going to know everything I'm going to go through. But you know what? I'm still going to die for you. I am still going to die for you. And Jesus knowing, remember that. Remember that. This did not surprise Jesus. They did not catch him unaware. They did not do anything to Jesus that God did not allow. It is so important that we know that because he has to do it of his own will. That's why he prayed in the garden, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Lord, if this cup can pass from me, this cup of, of sin and, and hurting and uh, abuse and beating and nailing to the cross and, and taking all that sin on me, and that it's going to be so bad that my own father is going to turn his back on me. Lord, if that cup can pass to someone else, or can it be done another way? Please, but if not, not my will but your will be done. And he knows what's about to happen. He went out and asked him, who is it you want? Think about that today. Who is it you want? What about Jesus do you want? Do you want him to answer your prayers? Do you want him to just take care of your financial needs? Do you just want him to take care of your sick people? Do you want him to just take care of your family only? Who is it? Who is it that you want? What do you want about Jesus? Do you want salvation? Do you want him just to help everything to be good in your life? And, and I'm not really going to do much more, but I, I just want him to make everything good in my life? Or do you really, really want Jesus? What a big question. And see, he asked these guards because he wanted to see if they knew what their mission was about. He wanted to know if they understood the, the gravity of what they were about to do. Of course, they didn't understand. They, they were just told by some people up in the temple, go get this man, this Jesus of Nazareth, bring him back, arrest him, bring him back, and we're going to take care of him. You remember, we've been reading all throughout John. You remember what they said? And they looked for a way to kill Jesus. And they looked for a way to kill Jesus. And they longed for a way to kill Jesus. And these men that we're going to read about today, they've been thinking about this for years. A way to shut up this crazy Nazarene. And he said, you go arrest him. And Jesus said, who is it you want? Verse 5, Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. Here's a big statement. I am he. I am he. We will glorify the king of kings who is the great I am. I am he. Folks, he is the only one that can be standing where he's standing that gives us a hope. I am he, Jesus said. And in parentheses in my Bible, it says, And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. 
When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. For just a moment, for just a moment, the glory of the Lord was was unveiled to them just for a minute. I am he. And it was so overwhelming. It was so powerful. It was so glorious that it knocked them to their knees. Someday, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. When he unveils his glory someday, guys, he's not going to cover it back up. He's going to unveil it to us all, and there's going to be nothing to be done but just go to our knees and just beg for mercy. And that mercy comes in the form of Jesus Christ and what he's done here and his blood and his shedding for us and for each other. He has done this for us. I am he, and that was knocked to their knees. Man, the power of the God we serve. Guys, we just put him in a box, and we try to get our mind around who Jesus is, and we've made him so, we've made him so approachable, and he is approachable, don't get me wrong, but we have, we have slighted him, and we've made him so, so little in our minds that we can't grasp how big that Jesus is that we serve. We can't grasp it. If we did, it would just melt us. We just melt into oblivion. Because here, just saying, I am he, knocked them to their knees. That's not by accident. That's not by accident. Isn't that amazing? Man. Verse 7, and again he asked him. He's asking the question. Again, a picture of grace. How many times does he say, come to me? Come to me. What are you looking for? What are you looking for? Can I answer something for you? Can I be there for you? Can I be the God of grace for you? Can I be your Savior? What are you? What is it that you want? And Jesus asked him again, who is it you want? And they replied, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you're looking for me, then let, let these men go. This happened so the words he had spoken would be fulfilled I have not lost one of those you gave me. If you look over in verse 17, 12, he talks about that. Lord, I have not lost any that you gave me. The only one that walked away was Judas. Judas never received Christ. Verse 10. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Now, in those days, they didn't have a, a Magnum 44 or, a, you know, whatever, pistol. I'm not really into pistols, but I know some of you guys are. And you guys could, you know, a Glock or something. I don't know. But they had a sword, okay? And so when Peter, you know, when this is going down and you can almost see him kind of, you ever see those guys get in arguments at the ball game or if you've been watching American hockey, you know, they get in there and they just kind of bump each other. But you can almost see that, that friction coming on. And here comes Peter. And you know Peter, never go, he's never going to really think things through really very long. And he draws that sword, man. And I believe in my heart, I don't, I don't have any word to back this up, but I believe in my heart that he meant to split that guy right down the middle. I believe that he meant to take that guy's head off. Remember what he said when Jesus washed his feet? Lord, I'll never leave your side. Lord, I'd die for you. And he's trying to do that. He's trying to stand up and be the man that he said he would be. And he took that sword out and he tried to cut old Malchus right down the middle. But I want you to see the working of God. 
Some say that he was just a bad aim. Some say he wasn't very good with the sword. But I believe the hand of God moved his hand. And I believe he had allowed him just to cut off the ear because think about the impact that Peter had in the life of the Christian church in the, in the days and years ahead. If Peter would have split that guy's head right down the middle, he would have been arrested. He would have been crucified for committing murder. Jesus did a remarkable thing. The hand of God, and I'm not sure if Jesus literally knocked it away or if the hand of God just through the Spirit, through angels, whatever, moved his arm and he cut the man's ear off. And if you read over in Luke, what did he do? Jesus took his ear and he put it back on and healed him right on the spot. Now, here's the thing. If Malchus goes back to them and says, that man there needs to be put in jail because he cut my ear off. Your ear's there. It don't even look like it's been hurt. How are we going to bring him to, to court if, if your ear's there? The wonderful grace of God is moving in this thing because, and he's going to say, let me read it to you, verse 11, Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Satan was at work at that night in lots of ways. Satan knew that if he could get Peter to take and whack that guy right down the middle of the head and murder him, he would take Peter out of the picture, all right? But he also knew that if he could keep some way from Jesus going to that cross, he would take away the plan of salvation for us all. And Jesus rebukes Peter. He said, don't do that. Remember, he told him before, get behind me, Satan, because he kept trying to talk him out of what he was meant to do. He knew, what did we read earlier? Jesus knowing all that was going to happen. He says, get behind me. Don't do that. This cup cannot pass from me. I must do what I've come to do is what he's saying. I must die for these people. I must die for people that will ever be born. I must die for those that have already been born. I must provide a way of salvation. That's why the Father has sent me. And Jesus is working, and Satan's working just as hard. Something that's amazing in the Passion movie. I may show that next week when, when they do whip Jesus, because I, I just a visual like that is just breathtaking, to say the least. But lurking in the crowd is this figure robed in black. And you can just see him looking and glaring at Jesus as they're just whipping him and whipping him and whipping him. I remember watching the movie in the theater that night. And I said out loud, please stop. Please stop. And you see Satan lurking in the background. He's digging at people. He's lurking at people. I'm telling you what, he's still lurking like that in our world today. He's digging at people and telling them that the Bible's not true. He's digging at people and telling them that marriage is not what it's supposed to be. He's digging at people and telling them that all those things that used to be, our culture's new and we're progressive and we don't have to do that no more. And he's digging at people and he's digging at people and he's digging at people and he's pulling people away from Jesus Christ. And people are standing and applauding people that choose to take and show their sin in front of public. Folks, God bless us all and have mercy on us all. Have mercy on us all. Jesus put the ear back on. I don't think I'd ever thought about the divine intervention there. What all could have happened if, if Peter would have split his head wide open? 
They might have been so overwhelmed, they might have just took Peter away and left Jesus. You don't know. You just don't know. Verse 12. Then a detachment of soldiers with his commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. And they bound him. Did Jesus allow that to happen? You better believe it. What's the old song said? He could have sent 10,000 angels, but he died along for you and me. And they brought him to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Now, if you go back and study, Annas was the high priest the year before. Now, his son-in-law was the high priest, Caiaphas. But for some reason, they brought him to Annas in the middle of the night. Now, nothing about what's fixing to happen in the next few verses was legal. Nothing about this was legal in Jewish custom, in Jewish government, in anything about it. There was never a trial at night. There was always a waiting period. Da-da-da-da-da. But they knew that Jesus was loved. They knew that he was, was thought of very highly. They knew he had a huge following. And they knew if they didn't do this in a very quick fashion, this could turn bad on them real quick. And so they knew they had to do something different. Also, you notice that they did let the other disciples go. Jesus asked him, don't involve these guys. So I think, here's their thought process, maybe, maybe. These high priests, if we get this whole group together, it's going to be hard to run this trial real quick. Let's just take the head. Let's just take the head and cut it off. And then if we do that, then they're going to run like little mice, and they're going to go into their holes, and it'll all be over, and people will just let it, let it die. 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it. Jesus will never die. The love of Jesus, his mercy, his gospel, his good news, it will never die. It's going to go on forever and ever and ever. This is the thing that you want to believe in. This is the word that you want to trust. Let no one tell you this is false. Let no one tell you this is outdated. Let no one tell you this is not of good use anymore because this is the one true word of God and he is true. His ways are true and he never changes. He never changes. They bound him and brought him first to Annas and was the father-in-law of Caiaphas and the high priest. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. I want you to think about this for a minute. The high priest was appointed by the people or selected by the people. And he would go into the temple. Now, the temple was this 90-foot thing that was beautiful. It, it, as a matter of fact, the Jewish people loved it so much that I would say that they worshipped it more than they loved Jesus. They worshipped it more than they worshipped Jesus. And there was a courtyard, and just the courtyard complex is just amazing. Of course, all we've seen today was the, the lower walls because it's all been knocked down because of their, really their worship of it rather than worship of God. And so the high priest and me and you could actually come into this first room, and there was a, a basin there to wash your hands and some candles and things. But then there was a huge curtain. The veil, the Bible talks about it. And it was a huge curtain that went from top to bottom, 90 foot tall. And once a year, out here in the courtyard were places that animals could be sacrificed. It was a bloody mess. They would just 
cut the animals up and they would squeeze their blood out and that blood would be gathered up. And, and if you wanted forgiveness and have your sins covered for that year, you had to bring one of your lambs or the best thing you had or a dove, whatever you could afford, and they would sacrifice that. And one time a year, Caiaphas at this time was the high priest. He would walk in, he would move the curtain back, and he would walk in to the Holy of Holies. Man, you could never go in there. We can never step into this place. Think about what he's doing. Think about what he's doing when I'm telling you this. They would walk in there, and there would be the Ark of the Covenant. It held the Ten Commandments. It held uh, Moses' rod and, and some different, held a jar of manna they had. And so they would take that blood, and they would sprinkle it on the, the mercy seat, on the covenant, and they would sprinkle the blood there. And it would cover their sins for a year. Here, this man... This man is representing God, representing the people to God. And he's, he's in the Holy of Holies. And they said there was a smoke that showed you that God's presence was there. He is standing as close to God as any mortal man can possibly stand at that time. And yet, here he is at the, at the brink of heaven, at the brink of Jesus. And what is he saying? I think it would be good if one man died for the people. The one that he's sprinkling the blood on the mercy seat before, the one that is going to die and take away all that and just be the one-time sacrifice for us where we don't have to kill animals anymore because the blood of Jesus covers our sins. He's took care of that, and he's standing there right before him, and he don't even see who he is. Think about this statement here. Next screen, please. John Bunyan once said, then I saw there was a way to hell, even from the gates of heaven. The best religious opportunities in the world and the most promising environment will not guarantee a man's salvation. Guys, listen to me. And I know I say this a lot, but it's very important. You can come in this building or any other church in America or the whole world every Sunday. And you can sit here and listen to these words, and you can even say amen, and you can listen and listen and listen and listen. But until you say, Jesus Christ, I want you to save my soul. I want you to forgive me, and I want you to make me whole. Guys, listen to me. You are a sinner and lost and on your way to a devil's hell. And I know that seems very cold. And I'm not standing here saying that because I'm all uprighteous and everything. I'm just saying that because what Jesus said, he, you must be born again. You must come to Jesus. Here was a man that's sprinkling the blood on the mercy seat. Guys, if anybody was a Christian, I love the term we use today. Oh, he's a good Christian. Is there any other thing but that? Are there bad Christians? Why do we say he's a good Christian? Why don't we just say, you know what, he's a sinner saved by grace. But here is a man that is coming into the Holy of Holies. No other body can go in. And he's coming in. He's sprinkling the blood before God. And you know what, he's going to die and go to hell because he never seen who Jesus was for who he was. All he knew is that he didn't agree with what I thought should be the, the religion. He didn't agree with my views on things, and he's just this raven lunatic that needs to be put to death. And it would be good for one man to die, because if we can shut him up, maybe we won't have to put everybody else to death that's following him. It'd be good to make an example out of this man, is what he's saying. It'd be good to make an example out of Jesus and just do away with him, and then they'll just shut up. 
Isn't it amazing? Think about that a minute, guys. Please, please, please make sure that you have asked Jesus to come into your life. I don't care if you're 12 or 92 or 50 or 75 or been a member of this church since your grandma was here. Guys, you need to know Jesus as a personal Savior. Look at this example. That's the preacher. That's the preacher. He's got to know Jesus. And Caiaphas said it'd be better that we just put this man to death. You can be standing. You can be looking right into it. You can be looking into the gates of heaven and looking through the walls and saying, man, isn't that beautiful? And you can die without Jesus if you've refused in your selfishness and your pride to just accept Jesus for who he is and accept him as your Savior. Guys, don't be proud. Don't be worried about what people think. Just get to know Jesus as quick as you can. Because I'm telling you, this world is turning in a hurry. And you better be on the Lord's side or you're going to be fooled. You're going to be fooled. And I say that because I just look at the TV and things that are going on and I just shake my head. And I worry about my girls, what they're going to go through. And guys, if there was ever a time to get your kids solid in the Word of God, it's now. If there was ever a time that this place becomes more important than anything that your family does, it's now. Because I'm telling you, if you let your kids go on down the road in about 10, 20 years, you're not going to even recognize this place. And it's going to be the furthest thing from God you've ever seen unless a mighty revival breaks out in this, this country. And guys, from what I see right now, it's not going to happen. Because a lot of us, a lot of me, is satisfied with where I'm at, and I'm not willing to get up and fight for it. It's serious. Jesus thought enough to die for us. It's serious. I'm going to stop there. What is it that you want? What is it that you want? He asked him twice. And I'm going to ask you that question on behalf of God this morning. What is it that you want? What's important to you? What's the most important thing on your list right now? Does it have something to do with God? Or is it a hundred thousand other things? What is it that you want? Only you and God can answer that. Because you don't have to answer it to me. You surely don't have to answer to me. You just got to know Jesus Christ. Ask him. Bow your heads if you would. Ask him right now. Jesus, what do you want? What do you want from me? Listen to what he's saying. He'll tell you. And Father, we come to you today. and Lord, we're anxious. We're nervous. We're scared. We're angry a little bit. Lord, we're wandering around. We're, we're, we're comfortable. 
And Lord, you were willing to do so much for us. Lord, we sit in here from week to week and people sit in churches across this country. And Lord, it just, it just doesn't seem to be any better. Lord, forgive us. Forgive me. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of the things that so easily tangle me and trip me up from week to week. Lord, I come here every Sunday and I pray that you will forgive me. And Lord, show me your way this week and I just walk out the door and begin to stumble. Lord, help us. Help us to realize what you want. Help us to realize the answer that I am he. I am he. Thank you for your divine intervention in this whole process of your arrest, your trial, your crucifixion, and Lord, your resurrection. Lord, may we get serious about our families, about our children. Lord, I pray for those that need your extra touch. I pray for families that are struggling. And Lord, it's just about every one of us. Lord, I pray that you would help us. Lord, help us see the answers to our problems. Help us to see the design that you had for us. Lord, help us to put life together the way you designed it and the instructions that you give us. Lord, don't let us put things together without the instructions. Because, Lord, as as Will said in class this morning, when we do that, we have a 50-50 chance of getting it right. Lord, help us to put things together as you designed it. Help us to put our families together, our marriages together, as you designed it. Speak to us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.